Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. I think Sura's parents' 36th wedding anniversary was, was quite specific, wasn't it? So I think, I think you, uh, you think, what is the kind of cake that I'm going to make a good job out of this? And then let's see if I can apply um, the idea of a particular occasion that will match it. That sounds well, cynical, doesn't it? <laughs> well, welcome back to the Bake Down podcast. You're listening to Josh Lanzi, founder of Bake With A Legend. And we have just finished recording episode four, reviewing Chocolate Week in the Great British Bake Off tent. Now, before we get to that, I want to tell you some exciting news, which is that Howard, Jane and I are going to do our first ever live webinar Bakedown Reaction Show, we're calling it, and it's going to be live on Zoom straight after the episode airs here in the UK on Tuesday evening. So that's next Tuesday, 20th of October. Join us online at 9.15 for an immediate digest of the show, and you'll be able to put your questions straight to Jane and Howard. I know the show won't have been on yet in the States, but you are welcome to join us nevertheless if you can make it, and we'll look to do more of these webinars in the coming weeks. You can register to join us for free by clicking the link in the description of this podcast or go to bakewithalegend.com forward slash podcast for more details. Now, many of you have been using the code podcast to sign up for online classes to get 10% off, which is fantastic. Several new classes have gone up on sale this week alone. We're even going to be baking on Black Friday, 27th of November. Put that in your diaries. So for our friends across the Atlantic who may perhaps usually be out and about on Black Friday, we hope you may join us while, of course, it will be Friday evening here in the UK too. Now, finally, in my any other business section, I would ask that if you are enjoying the podcast, please do leave us a review wherever you listen to us. It only takes a few seconds, but it is really helping us spread our wings. Now, I can't quite believe we're already four episodes down. And for this reflection on Chocolate Week, we were joined by 2015 finalist Ian Cumming from his kitchen in Cambridge. I do hope you enjoy the podcast. And as ever, we'll be back next Wednesday. Well, welcome back to episode four of the Bakedown podcast, and it was Chocolate Week. And for Chocolate Week, we have a special guest with us making his Bakedown debut, his former finalist, Ian Cumming. Ian, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Good. So I'm um, feeling the baker's pain for having a Chocolate Week. Well, Ian, for you, was it semi-final was Chocolate Week? It was, yeah, it was the semi-final, so uh, things were pretty serious by that point, um, and I never thought I'd get that far, so didn't do very much practice um, until quite late on for that one. So unlike those in the biosphere, you'd have been able to go home to practice for, what, four or five days ahead of, 
ahead of that semi-final. Yeah, actually, we for some reason, uh, we had a bit longer to practice for that one, which I was always eternally grateful. So I think it was something like nine days we had, um, which did make a significant difference. Um, so, uh, yeah, I needed it. I'm just looking back at your chocolate semi-final. You had to do a chocolate tart, a chocolate souffle, and then, of course, your, your centrepiece. Mm-hmm. Your, your souffle, I must admit, I'm looking this up as I speak. You, you came thir- third for the souffle in the technical, but you, uh, you did enough to pull it back with that amazing chocolate well. Yes, that's right. Yeah, the chocolate well. As kind of as often happens, the, uh, the uh, showstopper um, saved me. And that was kind of what I always put more of the effort into for kind of obvious reasons. But um, yeah, that chocolate souffle, that just that that was the worst technical for it. It just felt like I'd been about to be sort of led in front of a firing squad because it was, you know, we all went in basically one at a time. So all eyes were on you. And that was a way to ratchet up the tension like nothing else. I'd forgotten that happened. You went in in waves, didn't you? That's right. I think it was something like 15 minutes apart, something like that. So uh, yes. (laughs) dreadful really really awful yeah and it was the one time in the tent that I had just completely my mind completely went blank I couldn't remember how to make a creme pat despite having made one the week before and quite a few times um just like I have no idea how to do this (laughs) it's kind of totally wrong Uh, Jane Jane, am I right that you didn't have an official chocolate week? No, we didn't have a chocolate week. But I think I'm well known for many chocolate colour fails in the uh, in the tent for my year. I'm really glad we didn't have a chocolate week, to be honest, because I can temper chocolate now, but I couldn't then because it's really tricky. Um, and I just can't imagine what it must be like to do chocolate week on a hot day. Chocolate is so temperamental and it looks as though it was a particularly hot week in the tent this week. Um, I'm eternally grateful. Uh, if, if ever they do uh, a rerun of some of our moments or, or ask us all back into the tent, it would be quite fun to have challenges that were Baker's horrific nightmares. So yes, we'd have a caramel week for me and we'd have a chocolate week for me because it would have been absolutely horrific better now though i'm better at chocolate now but uh, yeah and that tent has a very funny effect on you sometimes and howard is with us as always as well howard no chocolate week officially for you either it's one that came in later um no we didn't have a chocolate week although uh, interestingly our um first week in the tent which we started filming i i recall probably back in april so although it gave the illusion of eternal bake-off summer, it was it was pretty cold. And we were tempering chocolate in our first cake, um, in the first showstopper. Um, so that was incredibly difficult as well, because obviously, although it's, it's tricky to temper chocolate in hot weather, it's difficult to do it in cold weather as well. Well, look, we've had some emails in that I just wanted to read out. And Ian, do join in with this as well whilst you're with us. This is from Kate, who says, Hi, Josh, how did Jane? I'm probably one of your youngest listeners. I'm 13, but I absolutely love the podcast and often listen whilst doing my homework. I've been watching Bake Off since around series four or five and have asked Ian Cumming a question at a local food festival, and I met Kim Joy at her book signing I went to with some friends. This year, me and my friends have started a Bake Off group chat in which we discuss Bake Off as it goes out live. 
My favourite thing is that my friend Molly, who makes a prediction for each challenge, which we call Molly's Predictions. In the group, we have Molly's Prediction success rate, which, as I write, is 41.7%. My question is to the bakers, do you have a favourite way to watch the show? So, Ian, if you're going to sit down and be able to watch the show, do you have a favourite way of doing so? Do you have to get a bit of food in front of you? Do you if it's chocolate week, do you want some chocolate in front of you? Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, it's more afterwards that I might reach for the the chocolate or the biscuit or the cake or what have you. Um, but uh, no, it's 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 interesting. I don't don't tend to have a, a specific way of watching it. Um, no, there are no rituals in our house. I mean, when our series was on, then yes, it was very much a sort of ritual, and I would invite people over for sort of a viewing party and I'd often try and make whatever we were making in the tent that week so people could try it um, with the possible exception of the weeks that I didn't do badly so I certainly didn't serve volleyballs and things like that. Jay, <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have a way of watching the show? Any Anything you do? Well, I have two ways now that we do the podcast. I, I have one way where I'm sitting down um, on my own with a piece of paper and making frantic notes because we have such a short time to to make our notes on this and my memory is terrible so I need loads of notes and then after we've done the podcast I sit down and watch it with a nice cup of tea and relax and just enjoy and then notice all the things that I've missed when I've been taking notes um, so since the podcast we've done that um, before we used to try and sit down when the kids were home and watch it. And actually my son who's visiting um, does tend to sit down and watch my recorded shows because he loves it and he's only started watching it since Bake Off. So yeah, no, now I, for enjoyment, I would sit down and watch it with a, a cup of tea, but definitely nothing to eat because it's usually I watch it after dinner as a rule. So, which is probably the best way to make, watch Bake Off. Then you don't stuff into the chocolate or the cake that might be lurking. Howard, is there a um, way that I, Howard watches the show? Um, exactly the same as, as Jane. Although I might swap my tea occasionally for a glass of wine while, while I was watching Bake Off, and and the same with Ian as well. I think. Um, the series that you're in is different to the other series um, in that you do invite people around. And um, I actually braved some of the bakes that didn't turn out very well. So I remember doing one um, particular evening where I remade my very floppy breadsticks to prove that I, I could make a stiff breadstick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. We, we had an email as well from uh, Jennifer who says... I was wondering who would be the subject of your celebrity hero cake bust. So this is going back a bit, but wanted to know who the celebrity heroes that you might have gone for if you did a, a celebrity cake bust. Ian, who, who would you have gone for? I think I suppose it would have to be the Dalai Lama for me. Yes. Um, yeah, mm -mm, that's the sort of, uh, yeah, my kind of obvious choice. I hope he wouldn't mind being made in cake. Just for those that aren't familiar, Ian, just explain mm. your connection with the Dalai Lama. Um, so basically I've done a lot of photography in Tibet and then, then that led on to me becoming his, basically his photographer when he came here to the UK. Uh, so I've been around him a fair bit when he was here and then ultimately back in 2015, i.e. when I was on Bake Off, um, I ended up baking a cake for him and slightly scarily presenting it to him in front of the um, crowds at the O2 Arena, which was all quite surreal. <laughs> what cake did you make for the Dalai Lama? 
Um, I made him, uh, what was it? It was a mango and lime cake, um, sort of all in the shape of, um, kind of in the shape of a lotus flower, uh, but I ended up learning a, a, an early lesson in cake transport for that when uh, I sort of stacked it all up here in my house before taking it down to London. And that was the wrong choice because the taxi driver took that first corner very fast and um, it all toppled over. So, uh, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, th- thankfully, the O2 Arena had got me some cream and some blueberries as well. So uh, managed to sort of, sort of patch it up for him. But he's no poor Hollywood. He was quite happy with what he got. <laughs> did he taste it in front of you? He did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, and uh, only a little bit, but uh, it was still enough. Um, so it was, it was quite a, a wonderfully weird moment of my two sort of worlds colliding of um, photography and cake um, and the Dalai Lama. But, uh, yeah, that was 2015. All sorts of weird things happened. Wow. That's absolutely amazing. Oh, Jane, is there someone you'd have made if you had to make a celebrity hero cake bust? Well, I've, I've had a big think about this because I think I might have done something along the lines of Peter and, and chosen a celebrity because he was easy to make a cake out of. Um, and, and I did actually think of either Trump or or Boris just because you could go mad with the hair and you could make it quite caricature not that either of them are my heroes but you know, with a bit of post-rationalization you, you might have got away with it I might have lost a few viewers on on both of those apologies to our two leaders um but yeah I think I might have you know knowing how hard it is in the tent rather than rather than choose somebody difficult that i couldn't do justice to i think i would go for the caricature and um, pretend that i liked them <laughs> that's not what you're supposed to do is it really but there we go that's that's total honesty there well it worked for peter didn't it he got good feedback from uh, going in the direction of something that he felt was was very manageable um, howard who, who would you have gone for? A celebrity cake, uh, a cake bust? Yeah, interesting. I, I, I totally see where Peter was coming from and, and, and Jane's idea of, uh, of trying to find someone who's got very strong um, characteristics. Um, I think I would have gone for David Hockney, actually, because genuinely um, I have a bit of an arty background and he's northern. And again, you could do the kind of shaggy blonde hair and the and the glasses, and I think get a reasonable likeness. So I, I think David Hockney would have been my choice. Okay, well, do feel free to make one, Howard. We can put it up on social media, <laughs> get you some feedback. We'll even get Ian to send it to the Dalai Lama, see what he thinks about it. Well, let's get into talking about this week's episode, Chocolate Week in the Great British Bake Off Tent. And for a signature challenge... It was something that many people would have been familiar with, and I suspect all of the bakers would have made on many occasions. They had to make 18 chocolate brownies. We were reminded that uh, they could have any additional flavours, looking for that fudgy texture. 90 minutes here, Howard, and is the major challenge, as always, the timing? They're looking for a gooey centre, but that crackly, crisp top, that's what Paul and Prue reminded us. I, th- I think the, the challenge is timing, but I also think it is sort of second-guessing, to be honest, what, what the judges are looking for. Sometimes when you get the brief, 
um, it won't necessarily say something as specific as the judges are looking for a gooey centre and a crackly top. And then you, you come up with this creative idea of what a brownie could be. And then, um, you know, you think when you actually watch the programme, oh dear, that's what they were looking for all along. They were looking for, um, you know, a gooey centre and a crackly top. But hey, that's quite sad, really. Ian, how can you get this wrong then? Because if it was it over, overdone and they can be told it's too cake-like and that became a problem. If you add too much decorations and I see it can be too sweet. So how do you get this right? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting challenge this because you've got to make it, well, you, you know, it's, you'd think you'd have to make it something special. You know, this is Bake Off. You've got to push the boat out a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, you kind of, you probably feel you've got to overcomplicate it. Uh, and whether that's clearly the right thing to do or not, time will kind of tell. But yeah, overcooking it is obviously the sort of, seems to be the, the worst thing you can do. So you end up with sort of a cakey brownie rather than a fudgy brownie. Um, but just staying simple, I think that sounded like the key to this, which is not an easy thing to do because you, know, you feel the pressure. Now, Jane, I think it was Paul that said, if you can't do a decent chocolate brownie, then there's problems. And yet we had problems, didn't we? Oh, just about all of them had problems. And I did feel very sorry for all of them, to be perfectly honest, because um, like Ian said, you, you always try and throw the kitchen sink at it because it probably tells you in the brief that it's got to be really interesting and exciting and lots of flavours. Um, and I suspect this time as well, I mean, I would never decorate my brownie. I might have a few nuts on the top or a, a drizzle of dark chocolate. Um, but, that, but that brief probably said they all had to be decorated. Otherwise, why is everybody chucking um, Italian meringue at it or buttercream or cheesecake on the top? So I suspect there was something in the brief that said they should be beautifully decorated. But you know, Paul's saying if you can't make a chocolate brownie, then, you know, reading between the lines and you shouldn't be here i think chocolate brownies are really difficult i i don't particularly like them i'm not a great chocolate cake fan so i don't make them very often i, I know i've set myself this thing now so i'm going to have to make one now but you know if you've got it in a tin that's i don't know what 20 centimeters by 20 centimeters to get a fudgy center on all of them is quite hard because you've got crusty outsides and all that. And, and it, it's so fine between if it's got a bit of a wobble, then pop it in for another five minutes and then the phone goes and you've forgotten it. So I think it was a lot, lot harder than Paul was giving it credit for. Um, and I felt so sad because Mark turned around at the end, Mark with a K um, turned around and said, what would, people think of us you know we we should all be able to make a chocolate brownie well i think i think you didn't you didn't you know let yourselves down i think making brownies and making a decent brownie is harder than we all think and because they're commonplace and everybody knows what one is i don't think that makes it any easier to bake um and they all had problems um and, and I was thinking about what I would do if I was told I had to decorate it. And it would still be probably a drizzle of, of 
chocolate and some nuts thrown on top. Um, because how can you see whether it's got a good crack if you've covered the whole lot with cheesecake? How do you see whether it's got a bit of a crackly top if you cover the whole lot with meringue? I mean, just it, it, it just didn't quite make sense to me, this challenge. I'd like oh, to have seen the brief. Yeah, that's absolutely uh, fair feedback. Maybe a little bit harder than even as a viewer would have given it credit for. Now, now Howard, Sura did say that um, that she makes brownies quite regularly. It didn't seem to just work for her throughout the whole episode, which we'll go through. What do you think it was about hers in particular that, that just turned into a disaster? And who else you know, do you want to give a bit of credit for in terms of how they did do with their brownies? I, I think Sura's problem was was that she realised um, probably too late that only one one of the trays was 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 going to be presentable, and and you do, I, you just don't know what to do in a situation like that. I mean, I remember there was there was one episode, um, I think in Sweet Dough Week, where I'd overproved half of my um, half of my buns. And then made the stupid decision of overproving the others so that they matched, so that I had ident- because I thought identical <laughs> was more important than having half a decent lot. And uh, you know, the 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 tent does play with your head a little bit on things like that. So she was trying very much to to make the best of a bad job, really. And anyone else there, Howard, that did do? A little bit better that you were a bit impressed by something that they'd done. I mean, Peter I, went for what fig top brown is a bit unusual. I, I I loved the look of of Peter's. I mean, certainly they, you know, the judges were saying that they weren't really brownies um, again because of that that fruit topping. Um, it, it it took away from the crack. but it was it he was attempting to do something different, and and I like that. And I also felt a bit sorry for Linda as well, because she was very, very confident that she'd got exactly the right uh, bake on hers, and she tested it, and she could see there was still moisture on on um, on the skewer. Um, but then when it's hanging around for a little bit longer, sometimes it, it, it you know cakes do firm up and dry up, and then she ended up with something that was was more like a sponge than a brownie. We did have a funny moment, in where Paul was talking to Hermine about turning the tray around. Could you explain this to us about why would that have such an impact? And Paul seemed to change her mind. Yeah, I mean, so she had this idea, which is not unreasonable of, in some ways, of halfway through the bake time, uh, opening the door, spinning the cake round, so all the brownies round, so that it, they cook evenly. Um, I think sort of a decent ovens like that, I think, especially halfway through, I, I would be pretty, pretty reluctant to open the door and spin it round. Um, cause as Paul said, you kind of lose the, the heat comes out of the oven. Uh, and sometimes the, the cakes will deflate a little bit as well as you sort of knock them around. You know, Paul obviously gave her the, yeah, I don't know, the, the cocked eyebrow or sort of, are you sure kind of look. And uh, yeah, I think she yeah she did end she did end up changing her mind, didn't she? She did change her mind. And Jane, I noticed with Lottie, she went for double baking. Now, why why would someone want to double bake in in this situation? 
Well, because she had to put a cheesecake topping on the top and the cheesecake top would have needed less baking in total than the the brownie. So perhaps she wanted to partially cook the brownie and then cook the cheesecake on top. I think it, it was quite a risky manoeuvre because how do you then tell whether your brownie underneath is cooked? Um, I like the idea. I like the idea of having that. If you had to have a topping, have something slightly sharper on the top. I think if I'd wanted to put cheesecake on the top, I'd have probably just put a cream cheese topping on my cooled brownies rather than risk the baking. Um, she made me laugh, though. And I, she's making me laugh more and more. I'm really, really getting to like Lottie a lot. Um, but she uh, she put it all into chill and then the heat of it defrosted some of the freezer and she went mm, wet freezer juice <laughs> what a lovely addition to your brownies um I, I i just felt sorry for all of them really i mean i liked her idea i i think it could have worked but i just don't think the execution quite did um yeah, I'd, I felt sorry for all of them. I don't think any of them did a good job, really. They were all looked far too sweet. And Laura's, oh, my goodness, when they had that caramel and Italian meringue. And I just looked at it and thought, oh, my goodness, that's a trip to the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd love to have seen that brief for that bake. I, I thought there was something interesting here, Howard, in that we know – of course, when Paul and Prue are testing it, it is you know, subjective to what they think and what they're tasting. But I thought there was an example with Mark with the K's. When he was getting his feedback, Paul and Prue didn't seem to be totally united. We had Prue being a lot more positive than Paul was. You know, Paul had said the cookie base was too thick, but then, you know, Prue was sitting there almost purring in enjoyment of the brownie. Yeah, and and I think you're absolutely right that that there is an element within judging of of personal taste. I think um, quite often as well, the judges have to judge. They have to come up with some comment on it. Um, And quite often that that will not be the same kind of comment. I mean, I think Jane mentioned uh, last week, he'd contradict to himself. So I, I think sometimes the judges are essentially finding something to say and some of that will be will be personal choice and something some of it will be a little bit more objective i'm sam clements host of the 90 minutes or less film festival another podcast in the stripped media family a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have come from the worlds of film, television, music, food, comedy, and podcasting. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. Well, let's move on to talking about the technical challenge a chocolate. Babka, a traditional Jewish loaf cake with enriched dough, layers of nuts. It must be rolled, split and twisted to make shape, we were told, and brushed with syrup to finish. Now, firstly, Ian, is this something you've made in the past? Uh, yes, I have made a, um, a few chocolate babkas. Um, 
very nice. Um, but as soon as I heard this and heard that they were going to do it in two and a half hours, I just thought, no way, how on earth? And I thought it was interesting having the week before uh, Hermine had made uh, an enriched dough. Uh, I think she'd had three and a half hours to do that in the showstopper. And Paul had said, oh, how on earth are you going to do an enriched dough in three and a half hours? And here they were setting them a, a technical challenge to do it in two and a half hours. Um, so straight away, I thought that sounded like a really tough challenge. But I don't know if I missed something that others got, but it looked to me like they didn't give the bread a first prove. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what I thought. I thought it's only a single prove. They didn't mention proving it the first. They would never have got two proves out of it. I, no, exactly. I find a book bad. Babka takes probably a good hour and a half to to rise, so they they couldn't possibly have had enough time for it. Yeah. Mm. So um, yeah, I mean, I know there. Are, I think Andrew in your season, Jane, he did some bread that uh, you only rise once. But I thought normally a babka was um, you know the usual um, twice twice you know two rises. So uh, yeah, I think it was. I think it was kind of strange in that respect. But I think for the most part, I think they did a pretty reasonable job. Yeah, there was some pretty good feedback when it came around. I mean, none more so, um, Howard, than than Linda. Um, the feedback, if I say, you know, this looks like a babka and it tastes like a babka. It had a, a lovely feel, which, considering she said she hadn't made one before, was was pretty remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I think sometimes just having that, I think we've sp- spoken about this before, just having that, that ability to think of the skills and experience that you've had on other bakes and try and apply that to something that is unfamiliar. I think Linda's showing that she's really good at that, that she's got a lot she can draw on. Um, and I think that's why she um, she did so well, to be honest. Yeah, we had Linda and Laura um, doing pretty well in this challenge, Jane. Was there anyone who who disappointed you in this one? Because Lottie was one of those who wasn't quite sure about the size and just didn't seem to have a quite grasp of it from the start. Well, I wouldn't say Lottie um, disappointed me because she had me really laughing. I mean, why did she stick it in the tent in the tin with the ends? See, I'm still laughing. <laughs> I had with the end sticking up. I think she called it a Viking longboat. I think she's into her Vikings, isn't she? Because she'd made her biscuit construction as a Viking something or other. Why did she just cut the ends off? Why didn't she just tuck them underneath? <laughs> It was it was so funny. I thought it was hilarious. And then Sarah, bless her, she had this huge piece of rolled out dough that looked about a metre and a half long. And she said, oh, that's not 40 centimetres, is it? I mean, it was just massive. And then she, she folded it in half. No, I don't think anybody disappointed me. I think... I think given that they they hadn't seen one before, I think they all did a pretty good job, to be honest. Um, in my you're, – you're right, Ian. In my year, we had a chocolate cha- a chocolate bread challenge, and Andrew was the only one that did a single rise, and Paul looked at it and went, oh, that's dodgy, single rise. Um, but actually, he was the only one that got it baked properly in the time because – 
he only did a single rise. Um, it, it's very difficult doing these enriched doughs in the time. And I think given that I'm not sure any of them had made them before, um, I thought they all did a pretty good pretty good job, to be honest. Um, Benji, I remember Benjamin doing one, a, a babka um, in that challenge in our tent, and Paul going, that's not a babka. And Benji going, it is a babka. It's not a babka. It is a babka. I must go back and have a look at it to see whether it was a babka. I'm just knowing Benji, it probably was. Um, I thought all in all, a great challenge. I, I just have got to say something. Sorry, rattling on like I do. Um, Mark and Noel were talking about, you know, what's, I can't remember what he called it. It was the weirdest thing. The freest thing you've done. Shall we, shall we get naked and run around in the tent? That would make Bake Off history. Well, it didn't get shown anywhere. But in our year, and I have mentioned it before, lovely Andrew got a bee stuck down the back of his shirt. Um, I won't go into the details of how it got down there, but um, he's absolutely petrified of bees and wasps and things. When he realised, because Candice told him it was down there, he whipped his apron off, whipped his shirt off and was running around the tent with nothing on his top half and then the funniest thing of all we were in the middle of judging and then the funny thing of all is him realizing that mary berry was watching him half naked in the tent his hands clutched to his chest and he ducked down behind a bench i mean it was hilarious i fully expected it to go on the extra slice but it clearly didn't for his own modesty i suppose um but you know that was the first naked run around the tent or even semi-naked which is of course semi-naked in the cake world is very trendy these days so i, I thought the challenge was great and i chuckled a lot through it following on from what jane was saying about um Lottie and her sort of Viking longboats Babka um I just thought her her casualness was hilarious it's like <laughs> I don't know I don't care it's just like you know it's like my 10 year old son doing some sort of I don't know a bit of homework or something it's like I don't care really <laughs> it's, sort of, um, it's like uh, this is kind of bake off and quite a lot of people are watching so um so yeah I think it's quite refreshing to uh, to yeah. see that rather than the usual sort of nerves and worry all about yeah let's just, at the end of the day it's just cake it's just bread um but uh yeah it's kind of nice to see someone keep it in check like that um although she did slightly pay the price for it <laughs> I think she does care I think she does care but but she doesn't quite know what to do about it. it. No, I exactly. I just yeah. love her. I really yeah. love her. I hope she goes a long way. Mm. <laughs> she's she makes me laugh. She's I think she's very good the way she comes back to the presenters and the judges without being trying to be too smart or or clever. I just I just yes, I love mm. I love her. I've actually in my notes here, I've got a heart going, loving her. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um how are you going to follow Jane's example? Are you going to make a babka at some point this week and uh, see how you go? You know, I, it did occur to me that I, I, I don't do enough of, I mean, Jane, I don't know where you find the time to be able to do all of the things that you do. It's, it's incredible. But I suppose that's because you're sort of more skillful than I am. But yes, I'll have a go, to, I'll have a go to babka this week. <laughs> Well, we move to the showstopper. The judges wanted a spectacular white chocolate celebration cake, and they wanted a particular celebration in mind with a minimum of two layers, and the decoration had to show excellent use of white chocolate. 
Howard, we've spoken about before having to find a celebration and work backwards. Is that where you would have gone for this time? I, I, I think so. And to be perfectly honest, I think that's where most of the bakers did as well. Um, I, I think Sura's parents' 36th wedding anniversary was, was quite specific, wasn't it? So I think, <laughs> I think you, uh, you think, what is the kind of cake that I'm going to make a good job out of this? And then let's see if I can apply um, the idea of a particular occasion that will match it. That sounds well, cynical, doesn't it? Uh, well, the, exactly. I mean, it's interesting she told us it was the 36th. She could have said, I made this for the 30th. I, I made this yeah. for the 25th. <laughs> None of us would have known that it would have sounded slightly more credible. Jane, what, what did you make of this? Um, I thought it was a really, really tough challenge. I can only assume the people who are writing these briefs are not really taking any notice of what Prue likes to eat because I, I'm a white chocolate fan and so is my daughter. My son can't he can't stand it. He thinks it's the devil's food. Um, I, I think it was always going to be a really sweet and sickly challenge. Um, and to have to put it in the cake dough, I have Googled it and there are recipes for putting it in the batter. And, and many moons ago for... Um, a Mother's Day bake I did for the Lorraine show. I did put white chocolate and raspberry in a cake, but I put chunks in. I suppose they could put it in whichever way they wanted, um, grate it in, chunks in, melt it in. The risk is always going to be you have a very heavy batter, I think. Um, I, I felt sorry for Sura, but watching it as she was pouring this white chocolate mix into the batter I just thought oh that's never going to rise I don't know how she expects that cake to be light and fluffy when it was looked like gallons of the stuff going in so I felt sorry for them I thought it was a tough brief it, it was very hot in the tent I think it was Dave said he won as long as it didn't go above 20 degrees um and it ended up being 24 or 25 degrees it must have it must have been really difficult and then to try and decorate it I would have eaten a lot of, of white chocolate I think on the day but um a, a really really tough challenge so Ian just give us as viewers and listeners, a bit of an understanding about why white chocolate is so difficult. Paul did mention, didn't he, about how it has a higher fat content, which means probably the batter in the sponge has to be reduced. So the fat content, you know, you can judge it yeah. right. Why is it a nightmare mm. to work with sometimes? Well, I mean, I, I've, I've never put it in a cake, I have to say. So I could kind of imagine, though... Yeah, if you kind of look at all the science and you see how much fat is in there, how much sugar is in there, you could probably sort of compensate for using regular fats and sugars for the cake. Um, for me, the bit that put fear in my heart was the idea of trying to temper white chocolate. Mm. Um, I think it's the, it is the most difficult one to temper. I failed miserably when we had it in our chocolate week because we had to do a chocolate centerpiece which had to ha i think they had said something like it has to have an element of white chocolate in there um and i just it didn't work in the tent i didn't it didn't set in the time that we we had and i mean funnily enough i was just um trying to put some white chocolate on a cake last night anyway just coincidence and uh, i failed with the first batch and had to do it again uh it just sort of I thought I heated it up gently, uh, but it just seized. 
uh, and there was no going back from there. So I think the um, I think things like Peter's white collar, white chocolate collar, I think remarkable. Really, really good job to, uh, that he's done. Only twenty years old, and uh, maybe that's a brilliant young young mind for you. But oh, that would have—I'm sure I would not have been able to do that at all. So, um, yeah, difficult. Lottie was asked if she'd practiced and said she'd done this fifteen times. Now, fifteen times of a roughly four-hour challenge—that's a lot of hours that's gone into this. And possibly she, given the poor two opening challenges she'd had, she needed to turn it around. Yeah, and and, and thinking about um, when she would have practiced this. I mean, I don't know whether she's done it fifteen times since she went into the the biosphere or 15 times at home, but that's an awful lot of ingredients to get your hands on at, at this time, isn't it? But uh, yeah, no, I, I, I thought she she did an amazing job visually. And um, Laura, I think that contrast between the the um, the black currant and the white chocolate, I thought was a, a genius idea, really. Yeah, I mean, Laura got some good feedback, didn't she, overall? Jane, was there anyone else here who you thought did something fairly impressive in the showstopper you'd like to give us some credit to? Well, yeah, I mean, certainly along the lines of Peter and um, Lottie, I thought Lottie's looked an incredible construction. But the thing I thought was quite clever was Hermine making a Genoese and replacing the butter with the white chocolate because it struck me as they didn't have to put a lot of white chocolate in anything. There was something one of the marks said earlier on about they, they were putting in a, only a little bit. Um, and I thought replacing replacing the butter with the white chocolate was a really clever idea. Um, I didn't realise Prue make notes. Prue loves Genoese. So, um, and she certainly seemed to love this cake what was it a prugasm i think mark um, noel described it which i thought was hilarious um i thought that was a very very clever way of doing things um i i i particularly felt for linda because i saw her putting her white chocolate collar or trying to she was putting a lacy collar on and it just wouldn't come up off it wouldn't stick to the cake and she'd obviously chilled that cake down to the point where the the chocolate then set before it stuck and I did exactly that in the final exactly I chilled my chocolate my cake down so much that when I wrapped it around the cake it didn't come off and stick and I felt very sorry for it because she she did a great thing by then trying to decorate it with some piped chocolate which did look quite um quite messy um, and not as smart as she, I'm sure she would have liked but those two really stood out for me and I got my marks muddled actually I, I still get them muddled up when I'm writing them down um, I thought Mark with his um, marula fruit pistachio and lemon I know the pistachio I don't think ever stands out as a flavor wise but any of them putting in a sharp flavour like lemon or blackcurrant would have really cut through that very, very sweet um, white chocolate. So I think given the really, really difficult circumstances, most of them did pretty good. Actually, Dave did quite a clever job, didn't he? Making it, um, uh, what does he call it? A Frasier-like cake with being able to see the strawberries around the side. I thought... I thought that looks pretty good. And, and, you know, anybody listening or watching, if a cake looks a fraction wonky like that, which it did look a fraction wonky, you know, 
those cakes have been sitting around in a hot tent while people run around and clear it down before judging um and i think he did an amazing amazing job on that too so i think all in all with the possible exception of sura um who did have a disaster i think they all did pretty well under the circumstances i thought of you howard when dave was getting his feedback because that was a classic paul overall a decent <laughs> job that uh, he managed to do uh, ian i'll come to you on sura because it, she knew going into the showstopper that she was in a precarious, let's say, situation. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, when she was getting her feedback, we saw raw dough, and that's never going to go down too well. No, no. I mean, you only get a brief look at the uh, the cake. I did one. I mean, certainly the bottom layer was obviously very raw, um, but it, it kind of. I thought the top layer did look just okay. So I, I felt it was a bit harsh that they didn't even didn't even try a little bit of it um, just to see if, you know, what the flavours were like. Um, so, um, yeah, I thought that was a, a, yeah, I mean, obviously it was tough for her, but it, I think it was a, possibly a little tougher than it possibly needed to be. Uh, can I just say something about the cakes? And I think it's probably something I've said before, probably last year and this year, is watching spe specifically Laura, because she had to rebake her cakes, didn't she? <clears throat> so we got a very good shot of all her cakes going in the oven. And she was making cakes. So they're quite deep tins, quite deep mixtures that one, take quite a long time to cook, and two, take an enormously long time to cool. And I think where some of them did better than others is that they had sponge tins and built them up rather than cake tins and cut them in half. I think if, and if I had my time in the tent again, I would never do a deep cake that I would cut in half. I would always do it in shallow layers and build it up because time is always of the essence. And you may think, oh, gosh, if I only did three cakes and cut them in half, that's not taking up too much time in the oven. But actually, you gain so much more time by doing a shallower one that will cool, cook quickly and cool. Um, I thought that's where sometimes they fall down is using those big old deep cake tins i don't know how the other the others feel about that but the, the cooling time on a deep cake is actually ages ages yeah no I would, I would totally agree with you jane i think that that was the kind of the key to bake-off was cooling things quickly mm -hmm. and finding sort of trying to find clever ways to do so um you know and i'm not talking just about ice creams or jellies but um things like sponges i think that was that was a crucial thing uh and so for example in the final i only realized i think when i got to the tent there was a, a better way um a more clever way because i was baking 10 sponges of how i should use the oven timer because i had to do two batches in order that i could get one batch cooling and start assembling whilst the second batch was was still cooking um, but yeah, it's all down to the cooling time. And as you say, big fat sponges, they're going to take a long time to cool down. So we had our fourth different star baker in four different weeks. We had Pisa in week one. We had Dave in week two. Mark with a C um, in week three. And now in chocolate week, it was Mark with a K. Do you think he was a deserved star baker, Ian? Yes, I think so. I think it was all quite tight, really, there at the top. 
there was no sort of clear winner. And I think that's what's interesting, kind of going back to your first point about the fact that so far each week it has been someone different. Um, and that kind of shows it is quite a sort of level pay, um, playing field at the moment. Uh, but I think he did, you know, generally he did, um, you know, he did a good job throughout. So, um, yeah, I think that was uh, that was a good choice. And of course, last year, Jane, we had a winner who was not Starbaker until the very final week in David's. You don't have to be a Starbaker in these opening weeks to, to make it through. It's what you always say, Jane. And I think what was actually said to Lottie during this week's episode. You just don't have to be the worst that week. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, I, a good old prove. Yeah, I always say you only have to be better than one other person that week and two on the uh, in the final. Um, it, 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 yes, it sounds fairly damning, doesn't it? But I think to get all the way through to the end, you have to be a jack of all trades. And I don't think you can be a master of, of all of them and you, you just have to keep going and I know um Mel or Sue said to us once we got halfway through and obviously we're not quite halfway through yet but they said you know it gets to the stage where it's um stamina and these are really tough challenges and I think for the all, all of them to be in the the bubble that they're in, it makes it even tougher. Um, and yeah, just keep going, keep going. Just make sure you're better than that one other person. But you see, people grow into grow into Bake Off. I mean, I think I've said this before. I always thought that Nadia was going to go home fairly early on, and then she had one week where I think it was Cheesecake Week, where she'd reduced down cream soda I think um, and something else to get flavour into her cheesecakes and you suddenly thought actually this woman can really cook and it was at that point I thought she could make it over the finishing line so I think it's a little bit you know week four I think it's still a little bit early to say I don't think there's a front runner yet for me Um, Peter might be a little bit ahead but they're all pretty good bakers Baking in a tent in tough conditions. Um, I'm looking forward to see whether one sort of gets their nose in front. But I like the fact that there isn't any complete standout. Um, I think they're all doing a pretty good job. And Mark, I think, just edged it this week. Looking back over my notes, he did a pretty good job on his cake. He came third in the technical and the comments on his brownies were good job overall. So, yeah, probably a worthy winner um, in a tough week in the tent. Howard, just a quick word then. Mark, Starbaker, and give a word to, to Sura, who unfortunately left us this week. Yeah, and, and I think just picking up on what Jane said about making predictions, I mean, we made predictions in week one, and I think um, I said that I thought Rowan could get through to the final, I thought Sura could get through to the final, and um, now I'm thinking I should have just kept my mouth shut, shouldn't I, <laughs> basically. So, yeah, re- really sad to see her go, but um, I, I thought she she got off to a really strong start, and sadly, this is just one of those weeks that just didn't work for her at all. No, it didn't work 
for her at all. Um, Jane, was there any other option, really? No, I don't think so. I think that showstopper, which very often saves people, was the nail in the coffin for her. And I'm sad to see her go, um, but I don't think there was another choice, to be honest. Ian, any any other option, really? I think it it was one where you knew what was about to come. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, you definitely knew who was going to go, but um, who was going to be Starbaker, more difficult to predict. Well, it's time for Howard's hump. What was it about this week's episode that you could take a hump with, Howard? Oh, do you know, I'm getting really humpy, aren't I, at the moment? I've got a couple of things. (laughs) So the first one was the Babka thing, I have to say. Um, There were quite a few people who said that they'd they'd never seen a Babka. And I'm thinking, you know, this is one of those years when actually you've probably had the opportunity to watch past episodes of Bake Off. And the fact that Rav and Benjamin both said that they'd done Babkas uh, in in Jane series, series seven. Um, yeah, you could have watched that and then you might have known what a babka looked like. Um, but also the other strange thing is the way that Paul sometimes directs us to see things that we can't see. So he'll point out things and say, for example, they're all very even and you think, are they? You know, you sort of doubt your own eyes, really. And then he said at one point, Mark with a C, he said, your cake's very pastel. And I'm thinking, I think those drips look like bright scarlet to me. So I'm, I just doubt whether he sees the same thing that, that we see sometimes. That's it for this week's episode of the Bake Down podcast. Incredible. We're already four episodes down a month into Great British Bake Off series 2020. We've absolutely loved doing the podcast. Please do keep all those questions coming to the Bake Down at bakewithlegend.com. And if you'd like to leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast, that would be hugely appreciated. Our online classes are continuing throughout the coming months we are even putting up various christmas related classes so please do go to bakewithlegend.com forward slash online classes to check those out so thank you to ian for joining us for your first Bake Down podcast to jane and to howard and we will see you next wednesday just heard a stripped media production. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.